Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Iron Hack Podcast. My name is DevOps Dan. My name is Turnery Tim. Oi, oi. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah, good. Feeling, feeling East London today, so I thought I'd go in with the oi, oi. Yeah. Okay. So today's episode, I want to dive straight in because it was, it was, we got a, a lot of it out of it. It was a long episode. Um, but that's just because it was such an easy conversation. Yeah. It was with Sarah Noah. Uh, Are you saying that right? Noah? Sarah Noah. N O H E. Yeah. She says it herself. So if she. Sarah Noah. Sarah Noah. Yeah. It's me then. Yeah. I apologize. Uh, she's a UX. UXpert, I'd say. Mm, ex, ex alumni. She graduated from um, Ironhack. Uh, oof, many moons ago, 2017. So one of the, one of the, um, one of the early ones. And this episode is all about um, a very interesting take on her uh, previous career in archaeology and, and anthropology and anthropology and how those two things, um, those two worlds meet. Which is, I mean, if anyone who knows the. The, the, either of them can understand the strength of the connection between the two. So we spoke a lot about her journey into Ironhack and then beyond it. Um, yeah, and just her advice for everyone along the way. So very insightful. If you are a new um, uh, UX UI are out there, this I think is a good one to listen to and, 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 and see how your career might progress. And if you're a new listener out there, subscribe. Oh, that's your, that's your whole contribution, just that one sentence? Yeah, because I think it's important. Don't do it, you're a mug. Oh. You're mug, mate. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you've gone full. You've gone full East End. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Do subscribe if you are new. The ternary term is correct. Um, everywhere podcasts are made, you find it there. There's a link in the description if you would like to apply for Iron Hack and start your own journey. Otherwise, enjoy the episode. Oi, oi, oi! Said he was me father. He did. That's <laughs> country. No, that was that was like. That was proper Cockney, wasn't it? Oh. Ooh, he said he was me father. Oi, fat Eden. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, with you now. Yeah. Enjoy the episode. Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Noe, and I live in Miami. And um, I work in product, um, product strategy, business development, um, and product management, let's say. And you're a, you're an Iron Hack alumni, a graduate from the from a bit further behind than me and Tim, actually a bit longer ago than me and Tim. Yeah, it was. Oh, it feels really long. It was 2017, so I guess about six years ago. Wow. Yeah, I think when did it start? I think it's that's quite close. <laughs> right, to right before that. I think I was the second cohort in my. Oh wow! Oh, wow. And cohort number two. Hmm. I was going to ask you what the difference is between now, but you've obviously only taken one boot camp. <laughs> um, so, so much just must have changed. Like, is it is the the lesson stayed constant? Is there anything that you've you think back and you think, oh god, I can't believe they'd tell us that? <laughs> Do you mean like, in the world I, of UX in general, Tim? You mean like has the world changed in in the last six years in the world? Of yeah, UX? yeah. Because I mean, if it was in web dev, the, you know, the world would move so fast. But I think mm. with UX UI, there's obviously some real principles. That you're kind of uh, they were still using like Microsoft Paint in 2017, were they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we were we were using uh, you know Sketch and Envision in terms of tools. Like tools always change, right? And and the popularity of tool tools change. Um, now people at least here a lot of people are using Figma. Not a lot of people are using Envision, um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think that user ex- i just my opinion of of user experience generally is 
the true value of, of someone as a user experience designer or researcher or whatever it is, is not really how good they are at using a tool, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's how good they are at understanding humans and, and the needs that they have and how they interact with um, technology and how to really like gain these insights and design for them. So it doesn't matter if you're doing that with a piece of paper and a pencil, which I do a lot. Um, it's just sort of how you can communicate that and the tools help you communicate that. So you hinted, you hinted a little bit there about what you did, you know, this, how humans behave things. So a little, little hint at what's to come in this episode about what you did before. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your kind of road to Iron Hack, uh, what you did immediately before. And just before we get too far into that journey, what, what, what was it that made you want to take the boot camp? you know? Um, what was it that made you think, okay, this is the time to, to, to change? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that it was one thing. Right. And so, um, I was working as, um, basically a a public archeologist. So I was on a team that was throughout the state of Florida and, um, funded by a state grant. And our role was to um, teach people about the cultural resources in Florida with the idea that um, educating people, working with governments, things like that would help protect the rich archaeology in Florida. Um, and so uh, that was what I was doing. Um, I had no- I've never heard of, I never know there was like private archaeology and public archaeology. Is there, can you uh, tell me all about that? I'm very interested in this. Yeah. So a lot of my role was sort of speaking to the public and getting the public involved. And that took many forms and I had a lot of freedom in, in terms of what that meant. So, um, you know, sometimes I would go, uh, meet up with like the County or the state archeologist at their sites where they were actually, um, you know, excavating something um and sometimes i would be working on like i worked on a children's book i did a tedx talk i you know dove shipwrecks it it was an amazing job like people are like oh you're a career changer because you had a horrible job before like there (laughs) there is it definitely was an amazing place and people thought i was crazy to to leave there um (laughs) well okay so this begs the question then why did you why would you leave such a what's a you know for lack of a better term glamorous exciting job what what made you change yeah so i think that Throughout my sort of education in life, I've, I've always had a really deep interest in sort of two, two main things. One is sort of art world. Um, and I did work in jobs as an art consultant and things like that. Um, and the other is really just people, humans, culture, uh, behavior. And, um, so, you know, I, I, was constantly sort of like curious and, and talking about prehistoric people, it's super interesting understanding, um, how people were behaving, how they were interacting, like what their, you know, trade routes were all of these things that the artifacts can tell us and the stories around that, that kind of bring those, those things to life. But for me, it's just more a question of curiosity. So I just became very, very curious about how, people would interact with future technology, future environments, 
um, things like that. And so that was kind of the impetus of, of sort of looking around and, and trying to understand like where I could fulfill that, that curiosity. Um, drawing that timeline between all those things is very, uh, yeah, it's like a, uh, it's very, a very honorable and interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like I really like this thing. So I'm going to just expl- pull that thread, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, but for you then was that wasn't really, was it more of a career booster doing a boot camp, or like a complete pivot? Like, cause you know, some people will, let's say they're a product manager and they go do a data course. This is just to kind of round out them skills and make them better at their career. What was it for you? Was it a complete it's, pivot into a new world? It's funny that you say that I'm taking a data course right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's such i think out of the three disciplines that iron hat currently does um well, unless they're doing the cyber security still i think that um th- data is definitely more it was one that people take to, to round out skills a lot more you know whereas web dev and ux ui seem to be a bit more of like okay i'm gonna follow this path data is a lot more of a in, from, from the people we spoke to on the podcast anyway yeah i mean i think it's the same thing right it's it's just you have to kind of allow yourself to continuously be learning and continuously be sort of fulfilling curiosities. And especially when those curiosities um, help sort of make you better at your role. So with the, with the data class, like our world right now, like the datification of everything is, is happening. So as a person in product, I do rely quite heavily on my soft skills um, and those get you pretty far in, in product. Um, but yes, yeah, so adding to that and really having an understanding like more deeply about data in today's world, I think is really important. Very, but, um, in terms of it, if it was sort of a pivot or, or whatever, I think it was to me, like in my life, it was just um, furthering sort of the same question about the human experience, right? So I, I have a master's in anthropology. My thesis was studying really identity and um, different ways of um, reaffirming identity or even like shifting identity based on certain environmental factors. And so these questions that like I've always had since you know, I can remember about the human experience and really digging into that on a personal level. Um, having, having that as my full-time career is important because then I can spend the time really digging into these questions and be paid for it. <laughs> um, but to t- tell me how, how strong is the link? So interesting. I was talking to my colleague today about this interview. I said, I have this person coming on who's in UX UI now and she started off in anthropology and it's an interesting link. And her partner is also, he's a, an anthropologist and she's a, a UX designer and they're always comparing the, how their jobs are the same. Apparently the, the link is very strong all the time. So have you noticed any like major easily transferable skills from your time in archaeology that, that you, you transfer over into design on that product? And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that there's probably more, um, more like deep work and understanding human behavior and understanding what drives people. And, um, in my, in my work now that there's ever been in another career. Um, 
and I, I was also lucky. Like my my brother in law was in product and, and had a bunch of jobs kind of in, in that world. And at one point was just like, Hey, I want you to read this book. And he sent me uh, Steve Krug's don't make me think. And mm. I remember I was like laying on the beach one day reading this and, and he, I was like, Oh, I already do this. Like, this is what I already do just naturally. Um, when I'm, you know, pumping my gas, for example, I'm like, oh, this would be better if this, this, and this, and Hey, they're not taking into account. Like I'm watching this woman, like with a kid and like, what if, you know, they did it like this. And so he, he kind of identified this, um, sort of natural ability and, and said, Hey, you should, you know, think about a career in this. Um, so it was kind of one of those moments of realizing that there was that, that existed. And when you like resonate with something, you read like that and you're like, oh, I already am. Uh, these traits already kind of apply to me. Then it's like a sometimes as well. So what I'm trying to beat around here is sometimes even though you subconsciously know something, you either need someone just to tell you it or you read it and then it all kind of like falls into place. And I think this sounds like a really good example of that. Like, oh, okay, this is what I was doing, but now it's labeled for me. Right. And I also think that the, like it also comes with a bit of a struggle. And if you do something well, kind of naturally, uh, and you hone those skills, you have to remind yourself that those skills, even though they come naturally, right, are valuable to someone else. And so you, you have to sort of protect them in a way and like, make sure that you understand the value that you're bringing to the table, even if it's easy for you. Yeah, you you sometimes you get this kind of feedback of like, oh, yeah, that's, um, oh, you're so good at, at X, Y, and Z to someone. And, and they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, it's just to me, it's a natural thing. And I think that people need to sometimes it's this very fine line between like, you know, arrogance, I suppose, or, but also just being able to appreciate things you are and aren't good at. And I think that it's things like public speaking and soft skills, especially it, when you have them, it's hard to know you have them, um, you know, and, and when you don't, it's very apparent to you. So yeah, I think that this is an interesting one. Um, I was going to say, actually, just on the topic of the archaeology and anthropology and the new user experience, a couple the topic of, that we're talking about in the podcast. Yeah, right? I, just, I thought I would see <laughs> on the topic of the thing we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the topic that we're talking about right now. Um, yeah, there's a few examples that I uh, read about recently that I thought I would mention to see what your opinion was. Um, one of them was um, user experience through the ages of uh, when there's been pandemics and when there has been a need for. Um, social distancing, which isn't obviously hasn't been the first time for social distancing. They did it; they've done it all through the years. Um, and I thought that it was it was quite interesting because they used um, archaeological evidence. I think uh, from the, um, the after after the Second World War, they find two skeletons six feet apart. Sorry, they find two skeletons six feet apart. Yeah, yeah, and they they found, <laughs> with a mask on as well and a COVID test in their hand. <laughs> um, no, but the, the social distancing outside uh, buildings was actually built into the um, was actually built into the foundations. They saw it in the in the ruins. They they, they saw that they were actually doing that outside on pavements and stuff. Um, they were marked with like brick because it just became a normal thing uh, for queuing outside. Um, which I thought. What if they were queuing in groups? There was no, there was no bubbling during that pandemic. There wasn't. You weren't yeah. allowed to group. No, I mean, I, feel, I just feel like there's an assumption oh, these bricks are six feet apart or whatever. They, they must have been implemented. No, I, so I think they found the, they found some. What, like, what is it? Is this the bubonic plague we're we're talking about? Or 
Yeah, I think it was the I think it was the great the the Spanish flu. So it was like so maybe what okay, okay. was archaeology or is that just countless history? Yeah, I I think that if it's an artifact that's fifty years old or more, it's considered archaeology, historic archaeology <laughs> rather than prehistoric. Okay, that was my next question. When does it when does it tick over into archaeological as opposed to just like I found this helmet in the bushes, you know? The other thing that I, uh, a friend of mine sent me an article about, again, which I think uh, is, is right in this sweet spot, of, and it's, you mentioned sort of like how the future generations will, uh, will interact with things as well, um, is apparently there's a really big dilemma around nuclear waste where the half-life of nuclear waste is like, you know, thousands and thousands of years. So they need to bury it somewhere in concrete where nobody will ever dig again. But it's like, how do you actually tell those future generations that they shouldn't go there? Because it's kind of like you were saying with that book earlier on, um, Dan, if you read a sign and you didn't understand the, if it was like a big red sign and you didn't understand any of the markings on it, you'd be like, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe all of the cave paintings are like their version of like there is nuclear waste in here, and we're like, oh look, they did some pictures of a uh, they've drawn around their hands. Yeah, <laughs> but then it's like a stop sign, and we're just completely yeah. misreading this. It's like an exclamation yeah. mark is actually a line towards the dot of the goal. Yeah. You know, and I, I just that's like a you know it's a really cool kind of like future archaeology problem as well. Yeah, I well I'll, on a small scale, not not thinking in terms of nuclear waste, but on a small scale, when, when you do have an excavation, um, sort of towards the end of it, um, you throw in a coin or some sort of marker of the date, right? So that if someone comes back to that site and they're like, well, here's an archaeology site and we have, we have to, you know, dig in and, and find out what's here. It's like a clear marker of like, Someone has already been here. Anything you're finding past this point has already been looked at and it's now completely out of context just to kind of ensure that you're saving them the... Okay. This certainly only works with the the, during the the calendar we currently use though, right? So in this 2023 timeline, you know, um, but yes. I guess... Yeah. Yeah, but there, it, it, we were talking about sci-fi before. There's there's some great uh, books about sort of uh, someone in the future coming in and, and finding things like, you know, our everyday items, like a, a toilet or something, and being like, wow, this must have been, you know, a throne for their royalty or something. You know, yeah. it's... Um, and you just and I, I always think how many things we look back at from historical events and we're like convinced that we have this idea of what <laughs> some ancient society was like and if they came back they'd be like you are at like the forum in rome is just like a neighborhood and they're like this right, is yeah. no reference to us at all and we're like oh you know there was loads of coliseums this is just the last the only one that was left so they managed to survive yeah yeah Crazy. um <laughs> Sounds absolute nonsense. Can we, can we, can we, can we let's get on down this path. Um, so anyway, yeah, let's let's pull it back to boot camps because yeah. I was stalking you a little bit online and I found your medium page. Uh, researching, Tim, researching. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry reasons. Digging <laughs> an archaeologist through the sands of time online. Uh, I came across your medium page and I found an article that you wrote. I think uh, just after a couple of years after you graduated about uh, top tips. Uh, for surviving a boot camp, and I wondered if there are anything that you can think back and think, okay, I'm really glad I did that, or what those top tips might be, or anything that's kind of stood you in good stead as you've become uh, 
you know, um, or as you've kind of grown into your career? Um, yeah, I think that the main thing that I, I tend to talk to people about now is really, um, how their previous, not necessarily job, right? So like people are like, well, I didn't have a job that had anything to do with this. And so I start to say, oh, okay, well, what are your hobbies? Like, what did you study? What do you do day to day? And sort of kind of like pick up on these things that maybe, um, they didn't realize were applicable. Um, and, and allow them to tell a story of why they have skills that would be valuable there. So, um, maybe they didn't, maybe they were delivering pizzas or something before, right. Um, there's still applicable skills there in terms of, um, you know, whatever time allocation, uh, customer understanding, uh, things like that. Um, or they have an interest in music. And so you start to say, okay, well, Hey, you're interested in, in sound. Do you know anything about voice interaction and, and where someone interested in UX might be really valuable in, in this realm? Um, and Hey, you already understand all of these things about music and sound and, and, you know, maybe there's a place for you there. And so it's just starts to open these kind of, um, pathways of, of possibilities that I think, um, it doesn't need to feel like such like a, a hard switch from one life to another. Um, because if you can tell your story, then you can, um, give yourself a little bit of, of credit for the things that you've done before or the experiences that you've had before. Yeah. Nice. That's really cool. Mm. Um, but do you think though, on the other hand, um, uh, as much as, uh, I think every yeah everybody can pivot into a into a career in tech and make it work. Do you think that those the general tips that make graduating from a boot camp um, a good thing uh, always sit within this like extroverted uh, camp? Because I, I think that a lot of the time we talk about you know like you said about being able to tell your story and like using the network and um, making connections. Do you, would you still recommend someone who's maybe more introverted who wouldn't say like that's not really their comfort zone? Would you still recommend them to do a boot camp and 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 still kind of get stuck in? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways to tell your story, right? There's a lot of ways to show people what um, is interesting to you. It can be through writing, it can be through creating um, products, or it can be through talking or LinkedIn posts or whatever it is. Like you you kind of have to make yourself known a little bit to create a network. You can't just be, um, you know, in a vacuum. Um, but I don't think it needs to be one specific way. I don't think you need to be going and giving talks or going to networking events necessarily, but there is kind of this whole digital world out there that, that gives you opportunity in different ways. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I think we'll be talking to um, Milan a few weeks ago as well. And he was saying that, um, you know, even if you think your portfolio isn't like perfect, just send it anyway. Like you, it's just uh, yeah. a snapshot of the work that you're doing. Um, so even if you're not feeling like hugely confident with it, it's just, just, just sending it out. And the, if, you, if the company is a good fit for you, then um, they'll, they'll see through that and they'll want you to, they'll want you to be a part of their team, which I thought was really cool advice. Yeah. Include things you're working on right now, not just things that you've polished. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So just keep things in however it is right now. I agree with that. I think that there is this kind of like, um, if you're a more introverted person, it can be so, I guess, frustrating to, to hear this advice. Oh, just put yourself out there. It's easy. And you're like, well, no, otherwise I would just do that, you know? Um, but then again, it like <laughs> to contradict myself immediately, you just, it's just a case of doing it. It's a case of like, you know, everyone's focusing on their their own things anyway so just post things that show earnestly and honestly who you are and what you're working on and and I, it's far 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 better than hiding everything because you don't think it's perfect you know yeah sure. i think that like, yeah you, you- i mean i i do that even now as sort of in my job roles right like it's better to deliver something it's better to have something done uh, than to wait until something's perfect. And so if you have this mindset of, of delivering on things, um, it gives you a chance to put it in front of you. You have to be kind of like vulnerable to do that. Right. Even sort of, um, as a professional, you go, Oh, okay, this isn't perfect, but what do you think of it? Or yeah. how can it be improved or put it in front of users and, and see if it works or not. And you have to kind of allow things to be seen so i think that kind of you know continues on a big part of what i do is done not perfect um or else i would never get anything done (laughs) yeah i mean so we gave i gave this advice to a really good friend of mine making a podcast and he was like yeah i just spent like about 19 hours editing this episode over the weekend i kept going back to it and you know kept re-editing and re-editing how long do you guys take and it's like well about 15 minutes <laughs> throw it up and we cut out the bits in the middle i mean tim does most of the editing but it's not like a heavy heavy process right we stick them together and we get rid of any extra noise things and we just put it out as it is it's very rarely we edit our guests and things they have to say unless we're specifically requested to and i think a lot of that in i mean the context of a podcast is different but it shows if you you know perfection if you, specifically in a podcast if you massively over edit it everything's robotic it's my question a second of silence your answer a second you know and it's this really unnatural thing no one talks over each other um and the 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 sentiment however is the same with most things if you spend months perfecting this this one design over and over again it's it's it become it loses a little bit of its authenticity and i think that this is like something that weirdly newer people in the industry seem to think they have to do more of and the people who have have a bit more experience kind of try less i suppose but their experience it's a weird i think hackathons i am like a big proponent of hackathons and they don't happen as much anymore I i think they'll start to come back a bit um you know because of covid whatever um but hackathons are an opportunity i think to kind of have an idea and, and like make it happen, whether it's like sort of a pile of cards and it it doesn't work very well, but it it shows the concept. And because you have this limited time and you have to all kind of like get behind an idea and just make it happen. Um, I think it's a really good experience to do and it helps people then to kind of push for that same um, type of attitude when they're trying to put together something like a proof of concept gives you so many more answers than sort of a polished finished product six months down the line. Yeah. 
And I guess as well, there's so many more platforms to actually get that content out on, you know, like long form, short form. Um, I was thinking about it in context of like music making because, you know, like there's this whole, <clears throat> there's a, a music producers and people who are writing songs um, find it so difficult to actually finish them. There's always like a reason not to publish them as a track, but like little loops and stuff on like <clears throat> TikTok or YouTube shorts or something like that, where other platforms do exist, other platforms do exist. Yeah. But like, um, you know, I, I wouldn't, if, if someone said to me, if someone was like, Oh, here's my, like, I don't know, UX, my TikTok page with my UX thing on it. And they were just like basically screen grabs of their stuff. I think there's just so many more platforms. It doesn't need to be like, here's a load of links to finished products or Figma links. It could just be like, you can put it out there any way that you like. And I think people will interact with it and kind of like um, appreciate it for the form it's in as well, which I think mm. is a very cool thing. It's also the best way to get feedback, give it to the community and let them yeah, get yeah. apart, you know? <clears throat> I think so too. But I mean, the, the kind of devil's advocate side to that is you do have to put in the work, right? So I have seen portfolios that were kind of like not well thought through or, um, you know, not giving information. And it was sort of this attitude of like, oh, I did this boot camp, So now you're supposed to give me a job. <laughs> and, and so like the, the opposite side of that is like, you really do have to put in the work, whether it's, uh, it, it doesn't mean that your portfolio has to be perfectly polished, but you should at some point show people what you can do. Yeah. However, that yeah, yeah. so to avoid like mixed messaging for anyone listening out here and taking notes like so that what we're talking about here is like this idea of like you can put out things that you're that are still in progress that you know have them in your portfolio and stuff that doesn't that's not like hey be lazy it's better it's just a case of like there is such a thing as like over perfecting things and there is definitely such a thing as like value in something that's half finished you know that that's just uh if so i don't want yeah. some student out there to be like hey i just did a two-liner because you guys tell me not to bother <laughs> <laughs> no, like but I, I, I also like if someone has a project that they worked on and it failed, right? Like, I want to see that. I want to understand like what failed. Like, it doesn't have to be like, oh, I created this thing and it got all this praise. It was perfect. It's you know, Netflix bought it. Like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's boring, not, then, isn't it? Yeah, like I'd rather see like, oh, I tr tried this thing and I realized that people hated it, but here's the process that I went through and, and this was my thinking and this is what I now understand from it. So, yeah, they say that a good founder is, is always on their second company, right? They have to have failed with the first one in order to, yeah, to be, yeah. you know, at school when you're doing maths exams, you know, it would be like, do this thing and show you're working and you could mm -hmm. get like two points for the working and one point for the answer. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Like you, if you yeah. sort of shown the path, then I will always, always, always remember this moment in, in like I was in like year nine. So for reference, I don't know what that yeah, translates to grades. 30 years old, something like that. I was about 14 years old and I was talking in, in class, right? And we were doing, we, we were just doing, you know, um, logarithms. So cosine, you know, look, mm. yeah. So anyway, um, so we were just got the scientific calculators and I was in the, just talking, just talking to my buddy, Harry. And, uh, the teacher was like, Dan, what's the answer? And I just went, 
three and it was three <laughs> life, i've never remembered this moment where i was like and he must have been like you little shit <laughs> i was just like three it's three and it just was i've never forgotten that moment if, you, if only if only you were 14 now in the modern era when people were f- filming all the time because i saw that somebody did that very thing and it went viral on reddit of somebody like going, the, what do you think and this guy walks in late and he's like what's the answer then he goes r squared He's like, yeah, that's correct. So, <laughs> you win this. You win this round. <laughs> you could have been viral at fourteen. Yeah, well, I guess the why would people be filming just every moment of a classroom? Is that what's happening nowadays? You tell me, my friend, because privacy is, is gone to the dogs. All right. So we spoke about what you did um, before the boot camp, and we touched a little bit on um, on your time there. So tell us what's happened since. You know what happened when you graduated. How how much did you utilize the piece of paper when you graduated? Yeah, I think um, for me, a, a big part of that journey was just kind of like putting putting in the work and really um, understanding how to position myself in this kind of new realm, building a network, doing all of these things. So I don't know that it was the piece of paper itself. It was sort of just... Um, it's a LinkedIn badge now, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's so my, my timeline, as you can imagine, is full of uh, alumni, and it's every three months I get like, "Here's my certificate from Iron Hack all over my timeline." From the question. really, oh, that's good. Yeah, um, that's nice. Good. I while I was a student at Iron Hack, I started a Slack community, and um, you know, I told my cohort, you know, like I I have more questions that can, you know, like that I want other answers to. I want new perspectives things like that. I'm going to start a Slack channel. And so I, I did, I it called it Fluxia, uh, which, uh, stood for Florida UX. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, I think back to like, what, what was I thinking six years ago when I, when I named this, but, um, it continues to live and, uh, and thrive in ways. And, um, so it's, you know, I don't know, a thousand UX designers and students and professionals on, on Slack that are all from Florida and maybe a couple others sprinkled in there from, from other places. Um, and it was there that I probably found my first couple jobs, um, just from networking on that Slack channel and, um, and so it's been a fun endeavor, but yeah, I started at an agency and, um, like a dev agency. And that was fun because I got to work on a ton of client products and taking a bunch of ideas that people had and making them into MVP versions of that. And, um, but that sounds like the dream though. That sounds like such a nice that sounds like such a nice way to ease into it. Like you've got a nice kind of network going and then you've got people just coming with ideas and you're making these MVPs. It's such a nice way to, you know, work on this change. Yeah, I wouldn't say I eased into it. I was working on probably twenty products at a time for different companies. <laughs> and <laughs> and so it was like yeah, it was very much like I put myself in sort of the fire of of working on everything, right? Uh, AR projects, um, apps, big enterprise, you know, platforms, um, you name it. And so it was really cool in the sense that I, it was sort of a 
a schooling on all different types of um, technology. And so that was my first role and it taught me a lot. And, um, and then I, I've since. Did something give or did, you know, 20 projects feels like a lot for someone to take on. It it was a lot, but I was, I don't know. I was ambitious and I had uh, a really good team of, of developers working on things and um, a couple designers as well that I managed. And um, it was a good first, first job to have right out of there. Um, And so I've had jobs both in sort of, um, more of like a corporate setting as well as startups, uh, since then and, um, and gotten to, you know, do a a lot of that where it's like, you have a ton of products, but then sort of, you have a role where you're really focused on one and going deep on one and really understanding how to scale something. Um, so I've had a really good mix of, of products that I've worked on. Um, and I think that as you kind of go along in your career, you get more and more sort of intentional in terms of what, you know, as you get better at developing products and developing whole business lines, you get more intentional in terms of what you want to put your skill set towards and, um, and what you want to put out into the world. And so that's kind of um, the the origin story and kind of where I am now. So that's a good point, actually. So I have a question. So you're six years in or six years from graduating and you have this, this six years post boot camp experience. Now, what advice would you give an alumni or someone who's just about to start listening, you know, um, just about to start the boot camp? who's listening to this. Start a strangely named Slack channel. <laughs> start a strangely named Slack. Yeah. Florida man. <laughs> Join join Slack channel. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, wait, I listened to your Florida Man podcast. That was someone who was in my cohort. Um, ah, really? Jordan Santos. Yeah, ah, yeah. Okay, okay. This ha- can we please name this episode? Florida woman does. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, so yeah, it, and it's funny. So I, I still talk to people from my cohort. You know, six years ago, yeah. which is amazing. Like we, we were very close. Um, and, uh, we worked, I I think when you like work really hard together, um, (laughs) and you have this experience together, uh, it, it sort of creates these everlasting bonds. Right. And so I think that even (laughs) years, years down the line, we still kind of cheer each other on and, and things like that. So, um, I think now, a lot of us are at the point where we're kind of looking and going, Oh, okay, well, what's next? We've, we've done all this work. We really understand this now. Um, and do we, you know, start our own thing? Do we go to this thing? Like what is, what is kind of the next step? Um, as you kind of graduate into more of like these senior roles. Yeah, I like that. Um, that was good. Yeah, that was good. Advice on advice on No further questions. Yeah. <laughs> I know you you asked me a <laughs> you asked me a question, I give you a completely different answer uh, to the question. But I, I remember now. Um advice on on what I would tell boot campers going if it was into you, it like now. if you were listening to this episode six years ago, is there something you would go back and be like, Oh, do spend more time in startups because they help you learn more stay away from startups because they're so chaotic. How would you, how would you, you know? No, no. I, I think that, um, 
kind of you, you will find yourself in a place where you will have an ability to learn something. And whether that is learning that you hate startups, it, that could be the thing, right? I just think, um, there's no reason to think that your first job out of bootcamp is going to be where you are for 10 years. Like it's not necessary. If you love it, sure. You know, but, um, get a job, see if you like it, try it on, you know, learn what you can. And I, I think that also when you're going to a bootcamp, whether it's for web dev, UX, data, whatever it is, right. You're allowing yourself like to open this door into a world that has other opportunities, right? So even though I went to a bootcamp for UX, like, and UX is still sort of like foundationally what helps me to build products. I didn't necessarily like stay in UX. Like I've, I've played around in, in other parts that there are no boot camps for necessarily. Right. And so you see people all the time where they, they enter the boot camp in one way to get an idea of what's out there. But then as soon as they go to the job role, maybe they're working with someone in, in digital marketing or program management or project management or whatever it is. And it gives them an opportunity to say like, Oh, okay, I might have this role, but I want to learn about that role. And, and you should always think about your job and the people around you as good learning opportunities as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. The first thing you said about the thinking the first boot, the first job out of the boot camp isn't where you'll be for 10 years is a mistake that I think a lot of people are guilty of just being like, okay, now I'm here. This is it forever now. And like that we spoke a few times about like, let's say you take web dev and then you become a web developer. Even if you do it for a year or something, it's still, that can still be a stepping stone onto like a, you could be a, a developer relations or a customer success manager, like within this tech thing, that experience will all be part of a journey, you know? So. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's kind of a wild time right now in, in tech, um, generally speaking. Um, with, you know, employer employee relations. Uh, but I would say, and when I talk to people privately, I'm not going to share my salary on your podcast, <laughs> but when I talk to people privately, like one-on-one, -on -one, I will tell them like, this is what I made right out of boot camp, Right. And then a year later I had a new job and I upped my salary by 25%. And then a year later I had a new job and I doubled that. And then a year later, and so it's like, and so I yeah. say to them, this is what I'm making now. And I don't say that to them in any other way than to give them sort of an example of how you can sort of continuously upskill and continuously like create um, value in yourself as an employee, if that's the, the goal that you have. Um, and it gives you a, a bit of, um, like you want to make yourself in, in demand. And as you get better, you should be compensated for, yeah. for the skills that you're bringing to the table. So when you stay in one place, like it's possible. Yes, of course, to, to get raises, to, um, take new positions, but I find it a bit harder over time. Excellent advice. That's like, yeah, that's exactly, that's almost, a, that's such a well articulated way to express the journey, like into, into tech that you'll have over the next few years. And I think that it's such an unknown for so many of our listeners as well, that they these kind of insights are pretty invaluable. You're, you're also so like, um, fresh, you know, you can't, I think 
you know, you've only done, you've done a course for 12 weeks. You know, you can't expect to come off the back of 12 weeks. Obviously you've got a skill base, but you can't expect it to be like highly polished and like ready for, um, I don't know, like a few steps down the line, it's still so fragile. Um, so I think, you know, thinking, thinking in those terms, like, okay, it's an, I've got a few stepping stones in front of me is definitely the way to, to consider it. And, um, yeah, it's a very good way of putting it down. So it's very articulate. So I wanted to then, before we wrapped up, I wanted to talk about podcasting because I know you are brewing your own behind the scenes <laughs> secret world premiere right now, I guess. I'm without your permission, I'm delivering this information live to the world, but you are working <laughs> on your own podcast. Are you not? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's called Sunny with a Chance of Sass. And oh, <laughs> like the Sass product, Tim. That's yeah. great. Like that. Where did Sass. the name? Where did you come up with that name? How did you come up with the name? Um, I, I don't. I had that name kind of in the back of my pocket for a couple years, to be honest, and um, couldn't really decide what format it should take. Whether it was a newsletter, an event, or a podcast. Um, and I, <laughs> it's, such a good name. it's just very on brand, right? And as someone in Miami and, and someone who uh, kind of loves when things are a bit less buttoned up and people can sort of be real. And, and I listen to a lot of product podcasts and things like that. And so they just, they're really valuable to me. Um, but sometimes they, they feel a little too serious. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I wanted to create a setting where we're much like your podcast or right. It's like, it's fun. Um, it's casual. It's, uh, a little bit. Um, I feel, like, I feel like we're very, I, sometimes I think we're so non-controversial. Tim's always saying like horribly, <laughs> controversial stuff that we have to edit out <laughs> uh, it's just no fun. yeah so i i put it out kind of in sometimes i do this like i put it out in the world as a way to hold myself accountable to it so, um, perfect. It's a perfect little tip it's, it works so well tell everyone you're doing yes. it and then you have to do it or, <laughs> i mean it does help if you have obviously this the fear that everyone will then judge you if you just don't care then you just talk shit and don't do anything People. Yes, exactly. So I'm, if people are expecting something from me, it is a big motivator. Um, and so again, it's like not working on something in a vacuum, but having people, um, know about it. And I, I went to this event for women in tech the other day and a few people came up to me and they were like, congratulations on the podcast. And I was like, well, thank you. Um, you know, and it, it was almost like, well, so far I've, I've made, you know, a, a nice picture that says I have a podcast. I have a title. I have like a dream guest list and some people confirmed. Um, but what happens is, you know, like you reached out, um, a couple people reached out and they were like, Hey, how can I help? Right. And so now all of a sudden I've started to build a community around this new endeavor and it's, so I, I don't know, like I appreciate it so much and it just creates all of these new and interesting conversations. And it, um, it allowed me to have these sources of, of inspiration and advice, 
um, and insight. And so I, I think that's like, I was right to share it way ahead of when I was ready to share it. And it put myself in that like vulnerable place. Um, because podcasting is not easy. It's, it's not easy. It's not like you just, people are like, Oh, you just get a mic and you start talking like not really like there are a lot of different steps. <laughs> yeah yeah so. there's a lot more to it yeah there, there, there is a lot more to it there's also like there's there's this problem happening in podcasting that it's so oversaturated that people are starting to believe that it's easier and easier it just means a lot of people are not doing it very well i think um, yeah but before we move on i wanted to say to you definitely play with it next time when someone says congratulations on the podcast just play like, oh wow, what did you think and they'll be like oh yeah <laughs> Listen, listen to a few episodes and you'll be like, huh, oh, that's interesting because I haven't released any of them yet. Yeah, well, the first one's coming out soon, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that fun. idea. I love that, yeah. Yeah, I really like, it's like when people send you those LinkedIn things, like, oh, I love I love what you're working on. And you're like, do you? What What am I working on right now? You get those unsolicited messages all the time, like, uh, yeah. oh, I really find what you're doing inspirational. And I'm like, which, what specifically that I'm doing are you finding inspirational? <laughs> If <laughs> it'll but, uh, before we before we go, Sarah, is there anything else yeah. you're working on? Any shout outs? Anywhere people can find you? Anything you want to direct the listeners to? Uh, the stage is yours. Um. Yeah, I think the best place for people to find me is probably on LinkedIn. I'm on there quite a bit, and and happy to chat with anyone who's you know, considering bootcamp or even already in their career and, and wants to chat. So I'm totally open to it. Okay. You heard it here first guys, every open inbox for everyone just to spam, spam away. Uh, that's uh, spam away. Sarah, Sarah. No, yeah. I'm, like no all the people you. trying to sell me stuff on, <laughs> on LinkedIn that I ignore. Uh, just yeah. Yeah, as long as you write a message in there about what, what you want. Um, use chat gpt to say i generated that's you're in (laughs) yeah i don't all right thank you so much for your time yeah thank you guys this was a fun time awesome that was um sarah noah ladies and gentlemen I like that a lot. I, I think I think starting where we left off in the intro, don't forget to subscribe to her podcast when it comes out. Yeah. Uh, oh, look, what a good name that was. Sunny with a chance of sass. Yeah, I like that. It's it's not multi-layered. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. I like it. It's it's like um when you re- when you see it written down, I was like, I think because I read sass as software as a service, so I was like, <laughs> Sunny with a chance uh, of software as a service. Well, um, it still works, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. sass makes it. You know, because. Shout out to Jordan Santos as well. I'm glad we got him back mm. in the mix. That was yeah. a great episode. Right? I didn't know there's a connection. Small world, Iron Hack, small bubble of Iron Hack techies. Who'd have thought interviewing all these alumni there would be there'd be some kind of connection? Connections, yeah. 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 Yeah, I know. Um but awesome, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you got some value out of it. Um we're gonna see you probably next week on a, on in the next coming weeks we'll start videoing it so you can we'll do face reveals. You finally get to see our faces. Yeah, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the whole thing with an AI um, filter of my face. So, ah, that's a good idea. It's gonna be Jan Jan Redman, the expert and lead web dev. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, people of all genders, creeds, and races, thank you for coming. Um, wow, it's very, uh, very, very. Ladies peace. and gentlemen, boys and girls is very like you know, but it doesn't doesn't include any non-binary people. Tim, what if you identify yeah. as, as someone who isn't a lady or a gentleman? 
you could just say humans of the world. Yeah, what if you're a geezer, proper yeah. cockney geezer? Right, oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. Yeah. Enjoy your weekend, apples and pears. <laughs> you can't say apples and pears, that's discriminatory. Well, to who? Bananas? All the other fruit. All right. The other fruits out there. See you next week. Do subscribe. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good night, wherever you are. Bye. Bye. Oh, I see you, yeah. Oh, I see you, yeah. Oh, I'll see you, mate, if I don't see you first. Oh, do you? Yeah. You do, you'll, you'll, you'll be done, mate. It's hard not to swear when you do a Cockney accent, I feel like. Very hard not to. Yeah. I'm, I'm hovering over the stop button. I'm doing it. Have a banana. Wait, wait.